Well, grab your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to Acts chapter 40. I'm sorry, not 40, 15, 40, verses 14, 40 through 16. We're going to we're gonna wrap up the last couple of, couple of verses and go, kind of go over them again. <clears throat> and then we're going to go into Acts chapter 16. Woohoo, a new chapter. <laughs> um, so turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 15, very end of there, uh, into going into, uh, into 16 there. And it says this, <clears throat> Paul chose Silas and departed. After being commended by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord, he traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul went on to Derby and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. The brothers and sisters at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him, so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, since they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem for the people to observe. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I would just pray right now in this moment that you would open your word to us, open up your spirit to us to hear what you are saying to us, your church here in Belgrade. God, we, we, are, we are here to hear from you. We are here to experience your presence through the reading and through the explanation of your word. Lord, speak through me. Let these words be your words and not my own. And uh, Lord, I just pray for your glory. God, that we would see and, and, and observe the things in the scripture and, get, and grow in knowledge. But Lord, that this knowledge would transform. Lord, that this knowledge would change. And that this knowledge, Lord, would, would inspire us and help us to engage in doing living the word, not just being hearers only. And so, Lord, help us to, to hear, but also help us to know how and what to do with what we hear this morning. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, oh, yeah, forgot yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> that uh, Estelle was, has, is not feeling well this morning, so we didn't get the, the centerpieces out. Sorry about that. We all have a story. All, all of us have a story. You know, it's, if you, you know, could sit down and tell your story. Uh, there was a, we were a part of this thing called Redemption Groups back in Seattle. And uh, when, when we were first, get, uh, first dating, actually, I, I, I even took one before I met Amberlynn. But one of the things that we discussed was tell your story in 10 minutes. Everything you want us to know about you, tell us a 10-minute story about your life. And <clears throat> so if you could think about that, imagine you're like, you're having to tell your, tell um, your story in 10 minutes. Oh, and I also apologize. I did not, I did not get handouts here this morning. Um, but I wonder, actually there, uh, Ryan, would you put out maybe like a little stack of paper if people wanted to take notes? There should be some, uh, some printer paper over to the side there. Um, just for, if you wanted to take notes here this morning, um, you can grab a, grab a stack. Oh, those are, those are, uh, Checks, <laughs> not checks, but deposit slips. There should be like a stack or just pull the, pull the drawer out or something. Should be a stack of papers there somewhere. There we go. So if you, if you, want, if you want a piece, piece of paper to take notes, uh, Ryan's going to put some over on the, on the table there. Uh, I apologize, this week was, was kind of hectic and I didn't get a few things done this, this week that I needed to get done. 
But uh, uh, anyway, so um, so my question to you is this morning is if you were if you were to sit down and tell your story to someone, say even tonight, say you get together around the campfire at, at Flip the Switch, and someone asks, "Hey, what's your story?" Or how can you ask them, like, "Hey, tell me tell me your story," like in, in just you know a couple minutes. You know, if you're wanting to get to know someone, getting to know their story. And oftentimes, what do, we, what, do we, what do we tell the story of? We talk about, you know, when we're bored, where we, where we grew up. And we talk about when we came to faith in Jesus. But oftentimes, I think a lot of times we think that our testimony, the testimony of our, of our faith ends at salvation. It's like we get, get to the point like, yay, there's the climax. We came to faith in Jesus. Woohoo! Well, I think most people want to hear, what has your life been like since then? What has your story been with God? on this side of your faith. You know, stories, uh, you know, and our different stories would be different. They would be full of stories of, of pain and or joy, sorrow, loss, victory, and, 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 good, and good news, struggle, boredom. You're like, yeah, there's, there's a lot of times where I'm just sitting there, you know. <laughs> People could see your lives. They're like watching, you know, like sitting on the couch, watching TV. Netflix thing, yeah, <laughs> or, or Disney, watching Disney or things like that. Adventure, fun, like where if they could, you know, tune in for, for you on the backpacking trip or or snow snowshoeing or or skiing or camping around a campfire. Because we often learn when we look at our stories, when we share our stories. That's the thing. Not just when we think about our stories, but when we're sharing our stories, we can sometimes be amazed with what we bring up. Or what we conceal. We get to some, something in our heads, and oh, not sharing that. That's, that's too embarrassing. <laughs> I'm not going to tell this, the part of the story where I had a crush on a girl in middle school and wrote her name in the concrete under the dumpster as they're reporting it. That didn't happen. No. <laughs> I'm not embarrassed by that at all. No. <laughs> you know. But we're, we, I, we're amazed by what we what we share, but also sometimes by what we conceal. And it's interesting, that's what we were talking about this morning, is Amber Lynn was, was talking about the, uh, the, the different characters in, in the books, in the Sensible Shoes book, and, and talking about the struggles, but then the victories that they were processing through, and which you guys will discuss today. You know. But just, I was struck by, you know, we often learn the reasons and origins of much of our suffering and our wrong ways of thinking, our sin, our brokenness and shame when we are open to tell our stories. And unless we tell those stories, we can't find healing. Oftentimes, our story just needs to be heard. We need to, it's, so, it's oftentimes even more therapeutic to just even hear ourselves speak certain words. Like one of the biggest obstacles in my life to up to the time that I moved to Seattle, I didn't even realize that this until it manifested it through words coming out of my mouth when I was sharing with my mentor in Seattle that the core of my belief system was that I was a fat piece of crap that no woman would ever love and no man would ever respect. And it blew my mind when I spoke those words to articulate them and realize Wow! And then going back into those, into the what cultivated that? 
What were the stories of brokenness, of abandonment, of rejection that, I've, that, I've, that I had experienced for 31 years up to that point? And that's one of the things about the stories that struck me as Amberlynn was sharing was that when people are able to share our stories, when you're able to share your story with someone and become transparent, often sometimes the things that come out of our mouths are very hard, but they're very good because it exposes them to the light. People's lives are ruined when they don't let anyone or anything in. They don't have a person that they can tell their story to. That people don't, don't have a relationship where they can hear someone else's story. Like a stagnant pond, you know, our lives grow algae and death where there's no outpouring and inpouring of fresh life and living water. Our lives need to be an outpouring and an inflow and an inpouring of life and living water relationship that's what conversations and relationships are all about being heard and hearing others seeing others and being seen people's lives are ruined this if they don't because here's the question that i have for us this morning is what can god do with our stories two things i want to kind of focus on as with this part with this point is that god can heal our story because like I said, revelation brings decision. Re- revelation of, of these things, of these parts in our lives that have impacted us so greatly can you know, bring upon us this decision. What are we going to do with that revelation? Okay, I realized that I've, I was feeling this way for 31 years. What was I going to do with it? Was I going to adopt it as my identity? Was I going to receive it and say, this is me? and just arrogantly live my life in that hurt? Or will I allow God to heal it? Inviting God into the story. When you find out you have cancer, what do you do with that? You go to the doctor and say, all right, how can we heal this? How can we kick, it, how can we kick this in the, in, the, in the pants? How can we get rid of it? Is there surgery? Like if you have a diagnosis, is there a way to get rid of it, to heal it? We want healing. Or do we just say, oh, I've got this thing. I'm just going to let it take me. Because oftentimes that's what we do with the devastations in our lives and the hurts and the pain. That we just let them fester because we grasp a hold of them because it feels better to t- sometimes to not address them and to just treat them as our identity versus to let God into the healing process. Revelation brings decision. Do we want to keep living in the crap? No. Give us, he gives us a chance to see him in our stories, but he also gives us an opportunity to see, see him in our future. What does God's faithfulness look like on the other side of this? Because he wants to, second thing, to redeem our stories, to heal our stories, but also to redeem them, to, to bring us to life and life abundant. The hurts and the traumas and the, and the, the crap from our past was where the th- we saw the revelation of the thief stealing you know, the, the enemy, the lion. The, the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. And we, oftentimes in our lives, we can see a past of that, a history of that. In our lives, in our family's lives, in our friends' lives, we can see a history 
But where do we see God in our future? Where do we see the abundant life in our present and in our future that God desires for us to walk in? Where do we see the places where he gave us abundant life in our past and to see where he was faithful and believe that he will be faithful again continually into the future? Because not just looking back and, and looking for the crap. We want to look back and look for the hope too. We want to look back into our lives and see the life and to recognize. I got a chance to do that this week. I was at a, a, a class called Hearing God's Voice down in C3, and, um, which I would love for you, I would, I'll tell you about it more. You know, love to, for you guys to take the class as well. It's a great class. But one of the things, one of the, the, the practices, spiritual practices was uh, one person was going to think about a fond memory. And the other person was going to sense through the Holy Spirit internal perceiving, as the scriptures you know, shows Jesus practicing and the disciples practicing, internal perceiving about the person's memories, like pictures or colors or objects. And so I had this memory, very vivid memory in my, in my head. And the lady was like, you know, something about like things like spinning and colors, like lots of colors, but like, like cups spinning or something like, something like kind of going crazy. And I was like, you hit the nail on the head. Because I was envisioning the, the, the day that I spent with my dad at Six Flags Magic Mountain, doing roller, riding roller coasters all day. One of, the, one of the most fond memories that I have of my childhood. Because one, one of the days that I just absolutely loved that I spent with my dad. And the adventuring that I do, that I have always done with my dad. And so it's this... So I love that, you know, even looking backwards and seeing these are the areas and these are the times when God was faithful. They, this was the times that God was good. And we can see on the, on the flip side, we can see the places and the, the occasions where we were maybe hurt or abandoned. But looking forward, we don't look for the t- opportunities because to, to, be, to experience the pain and the hurt going in the future. Oftentimes we will look forward but instead of looking toward how can I suffer, we just say, how can I not do anything so that bad things don't happen? We look at our future through fear and not through the abundant life and the hope that God has for us. Because we don't necessarily believe that God can redeem our hurts. Can God redeem our stories? And by redeeming our, our stories, he repurposes our lives. You know that J.R.R. Tolkien didn't write The Hobbit until he was retiring from professorship, his tenure, his tenure. In his older days, like 60s, is when he wrote the greatest works of his life, The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. God is not ever done with you. Maybe your greatest work is yet to come. Maybe your greatest work and faithfulness for his kingdom is yet to come. Because he has a call on our lives. He has called us and equipped us for his glory and the healing and redemption of others. No matter where we are in our lives, whether we're young, middle, or old, God always has a purpose for you. Whether you're on your deathbed, God still has a purpose for you. It doesn't matter if you're a kid, teenager, Young adults, just getting started. God has a purpose for you. A calling on your life. And a hope and a future. As you read in Jeremiah 29, 
11, yes, but through 14. Let's read the whole thing, not just the, not just the one verse that everyone plasters on, you know, on things. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, that's shalom, and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. How? You will call to me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you. Seek the Lord, and he will, be, and you will find him. Knock and the door will be opened, as Jesus even quotes. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Desire the Lord. Because God equips, calls and equips for love and war. And that's the main point of our, of our t- time here this morning. Is that God calls you and he equips you for love and war. He calls us not to just simply a comfortable life, but to a life of purpose, loving Jesus, loving one another, loving our neighbor, so that they would also love Jesus and one another in the church. He calls us to love intentionally, purposefully, and powerfully. Powerful love. God calls us to war against the schemes of the enemy to free the captives in our, in our world, in our city. To free the captives, to fight for one another in the church. Not fight against one another, but to fight for one another for our love and flourishing in the church. To stand against the deceit, to the lies, the attacks, the devastations, and all the workings of the enemy. Little, little, little warning. There's a cliche coming. Ready, ready for the cliches? Yeah. Ready for them? If God brings you to it, he'll bring you through it. Right? God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. God, won't, God doesn't equ- you know, call the ones that are ready for it. He calls those and then equips them for it. So, let's look at our passage here this morning. Silas. Silas is, you know, Paul brings Silas along with him. So, they, you know, as we talked about last week, Paul and, Paul and Barnabas uh, separated, went different directions. And, and Paul and, Paul and, and, uh, and uh, Mark, I'm sorry, John Mark, went to Cyprus, and they went back to the churches that they planted there where Barnabas was in, was in control, was in you know, prominence and leadership. And eventually actually becomes, you know, plants the churches and spends his life planting and taking care of the church on the island of Cyprus. So it's actually a really cool and good, good thing that they did split because God then fulfilled his calling through Barnabas to plant churches all throughout the, the island of Cyprus. Um, and then, so then now Silas is being, uh, being brought with Paul to do the mission. Now, who is the Silas guy? We hear his name, you know, Paul and Silas, Paul and Silas. Well, who is this guy? He has been a part of the Jerusalem church and trained under the 12 directly for over 20 years at this point. He is very seasoned, very well trained, and very experienced in church ministry at this point. But 
This is his first time spending much time with and planting churches among the Gentiles. So he's just now getting to the point where he's like, oh, this is real. Oh, uh, I don't know how to navigate uh, people who aren't circumcised and who don't do Shabbat and who don't, who, uh, wait, what? I don't, this is weird. So it's like him getting out. Of, it's like, it's culture shock is what's happening. You know, he's going with Paul and he's in Antioch right now at this point. And so he's experiencing just this great culture shock of being immersed in the world of, of the pagan world, of the pagan Gentiles. And it would be like, you know, a country, country boy or a country girl leaving the, the, the farm and going to live in Seattle. Like when I met Amber Lynn. <laughs> so think about Paul and Silas and think Alan and Amber Lynn, you know. This, this country bumpkin going into the big city, you know, <laughs> with her big old Dodge truck, you know, and uh, <laughs> it was, whatever. Anyway, but, uh, <laughs> and so, and so this is Paul, like, even in a sense, teaching Silas, a guy who outgrew, you know, outpacing him doing, doing ministry by a little bit. But this, he is exposing Silas to a new kind of ministry that he's never been a part of. And it's, it's one of those things that, like, like I said, God is never done. God desires. He's been walking with Jesus for 20 years. He could be an old guy. We don't know how old Silas is. But he's following Paul, and he's willing to say yes to the Lord when God says go. Because maybe he was like, oh, I've been doing this for 20 years. I'm going to live and die ministering to Jews. Nope. <laughs> You're going to go and walk with, walk with Paul and face suffering and persecution. Have fun. Yay! Yay, persecution! <laughs> you know. And so, but this is the interesting thing. So the word here, when it says sent them off, so this word is paradidomi in the Greek, which means commended or committed. So, you know, like as it talks about the disciples in Antioch, it says, uh, departed after being commended by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord. This word commended or committed, it actually is the same word for handed or to hand over to someone. This is the same word that was used when Pilate handed over Jesus to be crucified. He commended Jesus. He committed Jesus to be crucified. It's also the same word that means to betray or to surrender, to hand over. So basically, this is the like, kind of a to surrender or entrust to something or to someone. And so basically, this, the brothers and sisters are handing them over to God. Like they're betraying them from them supporting them, in a sense, kind of washing their hands of them saying, Lord, right, they're up to you. Their future's up to you, God. They're, ha- they're handing them over to the will of Jesus. Because as we know from Paul's first missionary tri- trip, it's a little tenuous. I mean, being stoned and being killed is kind of dangerous. So we don't know what's going to happen on this trip. It's like, this is the adventure. Remember, adventure takes risk, challenge, uncertainty, but it always has that element of reward. This is Paul saying yes to adventure. This is Silas saying yes to adventure. Not just to go and start ministering with the Gentiles, but to go into very shaky and tenuous places to minister to people. After, this is, the, um, 
So this is them going through then, as it says, going through uh, Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches, and then they get to the place where they went on their first missionary journey to fulfill Paul's desire to go and minister to the churches that they planted in Derby and Lystra um, and, and Iconium, Antioch. And so they were they are going to the, through this place, these, these cities, strengthening the churches, encouraging them. Because remember, he just wrote a pretty rough letter to you know to the to the church in this in Galatia, named Galatians, you know, saying that he wished that those who troubled them would emasculate themselves. He was very harsh in this letter, and this is the church that he wrote this letter to. He's going back and visiting this church in the in the different cities, these different churches, right throughout these throughout this region, to encourage them to strengthen them, to be encouraged by them, to enjoy the fruit of the labor that they accomplished. I mean, and going back, this guy's got some, got some, you know, some bravery going back to the place where he was stoned, going back to Lystra. He's got some stones <laughs> in the place where he was stoned. Good one, Amber, I like it. <laughs> But they, think about it, he went back to the place where he was killed and brought back to life by the Holy Spirit. And in this town, in Lystra, there's a, there's a guy named Timothy. <clears throat> Timothy. Wow. The more, this is, I just want to introduce, this is where God, this is where the Bible introduces this character. And man, this guy has a calling. This guy has a, has a plan. You know, God has a hope and a future for this dude. For this guy. As it says, he's the son of a believing Jewish woman. Why? Because of Paul's ministry. Because his mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois, were converted to Christianity during Paul's first missionary missionary, missionary journey. This is the church in Lystra where he was persecuted, where he was killed. His mom and grandmother may have been a part of the group that came and prayed over him to receive his life again. And he commends them later on in, in his letters to Timothy, you know, commending his mother and his grandmother. But what great faith that they had, <clears throat> that he trusts also in him, in Timothy. And so, and the, but it continues on, but his father was Greek. So this, this, this contrasting with his great mother and grandmother, wonderful mothers, wonderful faith of his mother and grandmother, but his dad was a Greek. So his dad, not, not a believer, probably went to the pagan temples and offered worship. May have been a part of the group that stoned Paul. You don't know. But he was part of the persecution and the oppression in that city. In such case, so, he, so Timothy would have, been, would have been considered Jewish, but not fully Jewish because he wasn't circumcised. Because his father was Greek, he would be considered sort of half-blood, but he would not be allowed to enter the, the temple to worship or synagogue because he was not circumcised as a Jewish boy. Um, so Paul took Timothy under his wing. Paul treated, he said he had Timothy, the son of a believing, believing woman, but his father was a Greek, and he desired for Timothy to go with him. To bring him under his wing, to love him as a son. 
This is one of the glories of the church, is that we have a good father. And we're introducing other people to our good father. But it's also the church's joy, the joy of the men in the church, to be able to bring other boys who don't have believing fathers in and show them what a true father looks like. What does a father look like who loves you intently, tells you the hard things, but you feel loved and encouraged at the same time? To be known by and encouraged by and to be recognized, to be taught what it truly means to be a man. Not just what the world says to be a man, which, can we agree, they don't have a clue what a man is. They can't even define what a man is. Or a woman. They're so confused. But this is the joy. We, have, we in the church have the glory. We have the creation, the God of creation, who created all things, who created male and female, who created men to be men and women to be women. Beautiful, glorious, powerful, strengthened, purposeful. And we have the keys to the kingdom. We have, in, in the church, we have the ability to raise boys into godly men. And this was, Timoth- this was Paul's goal. This was Paul's calling in Timothy's life. He became Timothy's father. A true father. Because he loved him through the love of Christ that his father could not. He showed him what a godly man looked like day in and day out. That's what discipleship means. That's what I do to Jackson every day. I show him what it means to be a father and a husband and a man amongst other men. What it means to be a godly man in our culture. And so he gets to follow me and watch me live life with him. And that's living discipleship with our our children. And so what we have to do as men, we have an opportunity to welcome in boys who don't have fathers in their lives and be a father to them or women to bring in women other you know younger girls and bring them in and show them what it looks like to be a woman of god what it means to be a godly person whether they have a good and godly woman in their life or not i mean i cannot tell you you know because my my father's in texas he, he's an amazing father and, it, I, and I still rejoice to be mentored and discipled under other men, under godly men who are older and more mature than I. And this is what Paul is doing with Timothy. <clears throat> Paul will take Timothy with them on, on their gospel journey, um, and he'll end, actually, he'll end up in Ephesus being taught uh, by Paul with several others in the hall of Tyrannus for two years, and then left there in Ephesus to become one of the main overseers in the church and over that entire region. When, which we'll see next week, which is probably why they weren't, they're not going to be permitted to preach the gospel in Asia, in the area around, in and around Ephesus. is because, yes, it's, it, is, it is Timothy's domain. It is Timothy's region that God has entrusted to Timothy, but not yet. He's got some discipling to, to, to do. They're passing through the place where he will end up and be the head minister and overseer over the entire region, probably in partnership with John. 
but he calls him my son. He loves him so much that he will actually write his very last letter that, that Paul will ever write before he is beheaded in Rome in, in AD 67. He will write it to Timothy. That's the letter of 2 Timothy. And you can hear in his tone that he knows he's about to die, that he knows that he has run the race. He's finished well. And he's giving his son his last words. So he takes them, and then what it says in the scripture, he circumcises him in order to be able to do the work of ministry alongside Paul and Silas. This is so that the Jews will hear the gospel. Because like I said, Timothy would already be recognized as a Jew if only he was circumcised. And so Paul takes him and circumcises him, probably lets him rest for a few days, and then then brings him along with him so that the ministry will not be hindered in any way, shape, shape, or form. Because remember, Paul's... Modus, you know, MO is to go and preach in the synagogues first and then go and preach to the Gentiles when they're kicked out. When they're kicked out. So <clears throat> it always happens. <laughs> so my question, and for another question that we have for this morning is, what sacrifices are you willing to make to fulfill Jesus' call on your life to glorify him and build up the body of Christ? What sacrifices are you willing to make to accomplish God's will in your life? To not live your story through fear of tomorrow. But to say, Lord, as long as I live and breathe, I am yours. I have died, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. What would it truly look like for us to even to be fully animated by Christ? And to say, yes. What kind of sacrifices in your life do you think that you would need to make? Is, is God, do you sense that God has been calling you to do something or to, to step into a role, but there's something hindering you, either a fear or a, even just a simple thing as like a logistical thing. You have the wrong job or you're in the wrong position in your job to truly fulfill what God has called you to do. What is God calling you to do and what is he calling you to give up or to, shame, or to change or to shift in your life and time and schedule to fully embrace God's call in your life? And so this guy, Timothy, he takes him not just simply because there's so much potential, but because he's already regarded in at least two cities you know, as, as someone who is honorable and trustworthy. So Timothy signs up for warfare. You look at, there are so many different scripture passages and I, I don't have the, have the time to share them all. But Timothy, Paul writes to him you know, to equip him and to encourage him. And we can read those letters as someone who is called to the ministry of Christ, whatever that is. Because here's the question. What is God's call in your life? What is God's question? What is God's call on your life? Because the, it's not the question of like, has God called me? You know, but rather, what has he called me to? How has God equipped me to live out the call he has placed on my life? This is where we talked about our, our passage, you know, my sermon from like, what, a year or so ago. That every member in the church of Christ is a minister. Every single one of us. Every single one of you. All of us are ministers. We have been made ministers and given ministries that we are to fulfill. 
Now you just have to ask the question, what is that? And how do I do it? How do I engage it? How do I accomplish that? We have to engage with the Lord and with the church to figure out how to walk or to live it out. Because this thing is like, it's not just pastors, overseers, and preachers and teachers that are you know, called to ministry. We all have a call. We all have gifts like Timothy that God desires for us to fan into flame and to use and to walk in, walk in obedience to for the glory of God and the flourishing of the church, for the building up of the body. So that's my question is like, what is God's call on your life? Is there something that you've been sensing that, that you sense God is saying, this is, how, this is why I made you, or here's the season that you're in, and here's how I want you to, to serve me. Here's how God says, I want you to be a part of the church. What is that in your life? What is the call God has placed on you to glorify him and to bless the church? Because here's a question that, you know, as we wrap up this, our, 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 our time to get here today, the question at the end. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in number. What is it that builds up the church and causes the church to grow in number? I would say right there, the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. With what? All boldness. With all boldness. And strengthening the body of Christ. Strengthening the believers in faith. And that's what the church is all about. That's what I hope that we're all about as a church, is preaching boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ and strengthening one another in the church. And strengthening and being a part of the strengthening of the church in our region. Being a part of the relationships that we have with other believers. And desiring and praying for salvation. And that's how they grew. They grew in numbers. They grew daily in numbers, not because they were coming from the, the first, first Baptist church of Lystra down the street, because the second Baptist street down the street or the cool, cool new-named church down the street was having a, you know, a better, better time. And so they transferred their membership from one church to the other. They only had the one. There was one church. There may have been several house churches, but there was one church. How did they grow in numbers? Salvation. They prayed for, sought after, preached the gospel, and they saw that everyone in the church was responsible for that. It wasn't like the one paid professional. It was the church was responsible to go and to share the gospel with those in their atmosphere, in their homes, in their culture, in their spheres of influence. My question is, where is your sphere of influence? Who in your life needs Jesus? Put their face right there, right in front of you. Pray for that person. Maybe write their name down. Write it on your, write it on your, on your arm if you don't have a piece of paper. Write it in, in your mind. Put a note on your phone. Maybe put like a daily reminder, a daily you know, alarm that's like, you know, at... 222, pray for that person. Pray for that person to come to faith in Jesus. Pray for that person to be open 
to hearing about Jesus Christ. They grew because of salvation. So they weren't focused on transfer growth, but on new growth and rescue. I love that word. Rescue and growth. And, and salvation and rescue. Healing and rediscovering. Maybe those who have, have walked away from faith or made shipwreck their faith through just, you know, seduction by the world or through troubles and tribulations. But how does God desire to use you, to use us, in that healing of people's stories? Whether through faith for the first time or for that, through them rediscovering what faith truly means in Christ and the hope that Christ is offering them. And then, at the, and then the, the last part of our passage here, these last few verses, the churches were encouraged by the formal decree that the Gentile converts do not need to be circumcised or try to follow the whole law of Moses, but were simply instructing them to walk in the freedom from idolatry to evil, pagan, and demonic worship. It was simple. There was no law. Just avoid the things that you used to do. By, through worshiping other gods. Stop going and celebrating Jupiter's day. Stop doing that pagan practice over there because it draws you back into worship and rely upon that god. Stop relying on Artemis for preservation through childbirth. Trust in the Lord. Ch you know, shift your allegiances and your trust from one to the other. From yourself and trying to do it all yourself to throwing yourself upon Christ, trusting Christ, entrusting your lives to, tr to Christ. Because here's the thing. Freedom always, 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 always brings encouragement and joy. Freedom always brings encouragement and joy. That's why they celebrated. I could see them being super nervous, like, oh, Am I going to have to learn a bunch of laws and a whole tradition? You've got the Mishnah, the Talmud. Oh my gosh, what kind of traditions and sayings of these old sages and, you know. Which is kind of funny because now I have a library of like, like 1,500 books. And <laughs> it's like, am I going to have to, do I have to know everything in those books? No, it's, just, it's wisdom, it's great. But it's freedom. Freedom always brings encouragement and joy. Second Peter, his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. Second Corinthians 10, although we live in the flesh, in the, in the sarks in this world, we do not wage war according to the flesh, the sarks, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We, we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. But God, my two favorite words, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, 
made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist the evil day and having prepared for everything to take your stand. Because God calls and equips for love, love of him, love of one another, love for our neighbor, and war. Warring against the captors, warring against the enemy, warring against the spiritual powers and authorities and the, and the, and the cosmic powers of evil and darkness in the, in the heavens, in the unseen realm. God calls and equips all of us for love and war. Remember, he wrote that book of Ephesians to the church of Ephesia, uh, in Ephesus where he left Timothy to pastor. He understood that he was equipping him and sending him and establishing him for warfare, for spiritual warfare, so that, so that, the church would go and be able to rescue people out of the world, rescue them from the worship of Artemis, rescue them from the worship of themselves, worship and entrusting themselves to demons and to entrust themselves to the living creator God who loves them, who gave his life for them. God gave his life for you. And we have come to that faith and that's what the gospel is. The gospel is coming to believe that our God is the God of the world. He is the God most high. He is the God that loves us, that he came, lived a perfect life, died, a, a, died on the cross for us to reconcile us to the Father and to be raised from the dead so that we would be raised with him. To forgive all of our sins, wash us completely clean, to give us his righteousness, to give us his holiness, and to make us holy, to set us aside for a holy and powerful purpose. And to spend all of eternity with him. He has entrusted us, all of us, with the ministry of reconciliation. So God has called us, each one of us, now, how and where that God has called each and every one of us in the body of Christ to operate the different roles and responsibilities, that's up to your relationship with God. What is God calling you to do? How has God called you to and equipped you for love and war in your lives and in the church and in our, in our culture? How can we, even tonight, as we go down to, you know, go up to the senior center, 
to go and to provide you know, campfires and s'mores and hot chocolate for the city as they, as they flip the switch on the Christmas decorations. How can we engage in love and war? How are we engaging? Because all the people, not all the people, but quite a few of the people that are going to be there are going to be captives of the enemy. How do we war for them? How do we pray for them, even in our hearts as we're having a conversation with them around a campfire? How do we love them in Jesus' name and fight the captor in the unseen realm through our prayer as we're talking to them and loving them in Jesus' name? That's what we're talking about. How do we, how has God called you? How is God calling you? How can you maybe discover your calling if you haven't discovered it yet? Ask God because he will tell you. He will reveal all things to those who ask. He will give wisdom to those who seek it. He will be found when you seek him. Knock and the door will be opened. God wants to invite you in to dine with him. If you will come and knock, seek him. Seek his purposes. Seek his calling, and he's, and he's equipping for the work of ministry. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your, your spirit. And God, we pray that you would reveal to us your calling on our lives. God, that you would raise us up Lord, to be your church, to be your ecclesia in the city of Belgrade, in the region, in this, in this, in this region, in the county of Gallatin, the Gallatin County, Lord, in the state of Montana. Lord, raise us up to be ministers of reconciliation in our city, in our lives, in our families, in our, in our jobs. Lord, help us to see nothing as common. That church is something that we do in this compartment is work and, and work is something that we do in another compartment and family is something over in another compartment and our friends are another compartment. Lord, help us to see that all of them are one. That you desire to operate in every area, in every sphere. Empower us, Lord Jesus, to do the work of ministry that you've called us to do. Lord, we thank you and we praise you, Lord Jesus. We worship you. We glorify your name. Lord, be glorified in all things. And Lord, bless tonight as we go to, do, to minister at the Flip the Switch. God, we pray your presence with us and through us as we minister to the people of Belgrade as they come to enjoy a time together around a campfire. Bless our conversations, God. Make them intentional. Help us to encourage people and to engage in conversations, meaningful conversations, that people will be blessed. And Lord, we pray uh, Lord, just for, for your church, that you would build us up in love through the Holy Spirit as we engage in, in a time of, of communion with one another and with you at, at this point and, and as we discuss these questions, as we discuss these things, Lord, open our minds, give us a spirit of revelation to see and to perceive how you're calling and equipping us for love and warfare. In Jesus' name.